Psalms chapter 6 is a psalm about deliverance. It's a psalm about the power of Christ setting you free from all your enemies, the destructive powers and the forces that are aligned against you are completely demolished and you are delivered in the power of Christ. We look forward to going through the verse-by-verse study of Psalm 6 as we continue our series. Let's pray and then I'll read this chapter to us and we'll get into it verse-by-verse. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy of um, being in your presence, of being able to hear your word, of being able to preach your word, of being able to be set free, empowered, given the weapons of our warfare that help extinguish the forces of darkness that are uh, aligned against us. We thank you for your great grace and and power to accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm chapter 6, beginning to read verse 1, to the choir master with the stringed instruments according to the shemoth, a psalm of David. Verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver me. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weepings. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Here again is the psalm of deliverance from all the enemies. And the enemies are, are vast and numerous and they're encompassed all around about us. In this one single chapter, it's interesting, you have almost every possible form of discouragement, of despair, of defeat, of enemies coming against you, all compressed in this one very small 10-verse chapter. It, it, it is, a, it is we we're confronted in this passage with almost every pain, almost every sorrow, almost every form of suffering or anguish of soul that you or I have ever faced. It's amazing how David in this one psalm can encapsulate almost everything that we've been through that have caused us this pain, grief, sorrow, and suffering. But I'm thankful that he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just leave us in this place of uh, being able to acknowledge how difficult life is in this fallen world that we live, but he has a remedy. He has a power. He has a resource. He has a deliverer. He has Christ, the cure for everything that might ail us in those who come to, for those who come to Christ Jesus. We see in verse 1, just a brief overview, in verse 1, we see that he's struggling with sin. Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. In verse 2, we see that he's beginning to speak about his own sickness. He says, heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. We see the same thing in, as, as to a physical sickness that he's facing. In verse 7, when he says, my eyes waste away because of grief, and it grows weak because of all my foes. There's, there's the encompassing here both of a physical enemy that's against him and an internal one of a sickness that's in his body. Number three, we see a suffering of soul. This is in verse three. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? We see this echoed in, in, in verse three. I am weary with all my moanings. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. 
We, we see number four, he speaks of Sheol in verses four and five. Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me for your steadfast sakes. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Here's the, the fear of death, the trouble of knowing that our time here on earth is short. And, and because of the struggle with sin and the fear of the wrath of God and the sickness in his body and the enemies surrounding him, he's, he's facing the, the reality of, a, of an impending death on his life and it's causing him uh, to weep and to moan and to groan. And then lastly, we see Satan and his wicked enemies. This is in verses six through eight. Uh, in, excuse me, verse eight, he says, depart from me all you workers of evil. That's Satan himself. That's all the powers of darkness. That's, that's demonic forces. That's the powers and principalities. It's also wicked people. It's also enemies. It's gossip. It's liars. It's backbiters. It's slanderers. It's those who come against us uh, when we are walking in the name of the Lord. And we see all these things, and we'll get into the conclusion here in just a little bit, but at the conclusion is this glorious, mighty, powerful call, uh, com- uh, commitment to understand that Jesus is the answer to all of these, all of these things. So whether, it's, whether the struggle that you're facing today is sin, sickness, suffering in your soul, Sheol or the fear of death, or Satan and his wicked enemies, there is a solution there is a freedom, there is a victory, there's a power, there is a, a mighty deliverer, and that's what this psalm uh, helps us un- understand. So, uh, and we all know in our personal life uh, the, these struggles. It's, it's easy to list them, but it's, but it's hard to go through them. It's easy to speak about them here from a pulpit, but when you sit down face-to-face with somebody who's struggling, like maybe you are, that there's this battle you're having with sin. Temptation overwhelms you time and time again. You've cried, you've prayed, you've confessed, you've promised you'd never do it again. But, but sin is continually crouching at the door and, and you're concerned about the anger and the wrath of God. This chapter is for you. Or many are facing a physical sickness, whether it be COVID or other forms of things that are causing people to be in pain, physically in pain, broken bones, ailments of the stomach, headaches, perpetual headaches that you have, uh, the, 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 whether it be a temporary thing that's come upon you or whether it's something that's chronic in your life. Many people understand what David was going through as he honestly confesses he's struggling with a need for physical healing in his life. He goes on to say, even worse, what causes me to cry myself to sleep and my uh, bed is like a, pool, a, a puddle, of, a pool of tears He's saying there that the suffering of soul might even be worse than the suffering that we have in our physical bodies. Then Sheol, he can't praise the Lord. If, if this thing ends in death, he can't praise the Lord. He can't worship the Lord. He can't come to do that thing that he loves to do, even though he's struggling with sin and suffering. He loves to go into the house of the Lord. He loves to go in and praise the name of the Lord. He loves to go in and, and spend time uh, better to, one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's his heart. And he knows that the loss of his life, it would be a different form. Uh, he would not have the, the physical voice any longer uh, to be able to praise the Lord. We'll get into that more in depth. Yet more prevalent in this chapter than all of these struggles is the understanding of the deliverance, the healing, the forgiveness, the reconciliation with God, the power over realms of darkness, the victory and the conquest over every single enemy attack, that these things will flee at the mighty name of Jesus. So let's look at these five forms of attack, and some of these you might be facing today. God forbid that you're facing all of them, but if so, all of them can be conquered in the name of Jesus Christ. The first one I'm calling is an expectation of wrath. 
David has struggled with various forms of sin from the first time uh, he didn't go out and fight with the kings. He went up onto the rooftop. He sees Bathsheba, and he lusts after her. He calls her into his own courts. Uh, He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Um, He then takes Uriah, her husband, and has him put to the front of the army, and and he's killed. It's really, it's it's actually a, a murder that David commits here. And so you have adultery, you have murder, you have deception, you have lies, you have deceit. And David understands his own heart, and he understands the, 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 the sin nature. He understands the fallen nature. And many of us today, particularly in the Christian church in America, we have a lack of preaching about sin. We, we, we don't want to deal with it. We want to make everybody feel good. We want to make everybody happy. We want to make everybody understand how, how accepted they are. And so therefore we don't deal with sin. But David is honest and he deals with his struggle with sin. But in his dealing with struggle with sin, he also understands the mercy of God. He understands, as Scripture says, that mercy triumphs over judgment. And although God disciplines sin and comes against sin and deals with our sin, he never winks at our sin, he never allows it to go uh, undealt with. But David understands something that I think you and I want to understand as well, that in your anger, God... Don't rebuke me at that place. Uh, In your wrath, God, don't discipline me in that. Yes, there's going to be the anger of God. And yes, there's going to be uh, wrath of God. And yes, there's going to be discipline and rebuke. But Lord, don't, don't let the fullness of your wrath fall upon me. Don't let the sternness of your anger be the place of rebuke. In other words, he's saying what he says in verse 2, Be gracious to me, for I am languishing. I am languishing. My heart is troubled. I'm broken over my own sin. I want to encourage you, this is the place you should be, that, that you don't ignore your sin, that you don't um, repress it as if it's insignificant, you don't count it as uh, something that is light or trite or insignificant, but you, you consider it as God considers it, a grievous a move against the very nature and power and love of God, and at the same time, but you understand the, the mercy of God and the grace of God, that you're that you're not looking at a God as being a God who's constantly um, out to get you, uh, against you, fighting against you. We acknowledge our sin, as David does, but yet we also understand that, that even though it might be unpopular to, to preach against sin in our pulpits today, that there is such a thing as a wrath of God. Now, if it's, now if it's difficult for us to find a church that preaches against sin today, I would say to you that it's even more difficult to find a church that, that believes in the, the wrath of God. Uh, particularly in uh, the wrath of God imposed upon Christ. I want to get that into that in just a moment. But before I do, I just want to say this. What I'm about to say to you is controversial, and it shouldn't be. It's, it's, it's historically from the New Testament, through the early church fathers, throughout all of church history, through the Reformation, um, through the Puritan writers in the 17th century. Uh, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ taking the wrath of God in our place, has been commonly accepted. And now that we live in this uh, progressive age of where God is only being, we only want to show God, uh, view God as a God of love. We don't want to expose people to understand that he's also a God of anger and a God of wrath, a God who hates sin. We, we, uh, it's, it's spoken in these uh, compromised liberal churches as, uh, God would never punish his own son. Uh, that some people call it divine child abuse. How could God take his own hatred of sin and impose it upon and punish it upon an innocent 
child like his own son. Well, that's clearly a, a misunderstanding of the gospel, a misunderstanding of the cross of Christ, of the redemptive power, of the, the nature of the substitutionary atonement. So we have to understand, first of all, that there is a wrath of God. I won't take the time to go into it, but if you're taking notes, um, write down Psalm 75, verse 8, and it speaks there of the Old Testament understanding of the wrath of God. Nahum, uh, one of the minor prophets, chapter 1, verse 2 through 6, speaks of this wrath of God. Then if you would turn me to Romans in the New Testament, you'll see there that this theme that's in the Old Testament is clearly, clearly carried into the New Testament. We find this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And it says here, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Then in chapter 2 and verse 5 it says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Some even suggest that the wrath of God was uh, an aspect of the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, there is no wrath of God. Well, this is written post-cross, post-resurrection of Christ, and yet Paul is still clearly preaching about the wrath of God being put upon those who are ungodly and unrighteous without the redemptive power of Christ Jesus. And we see now in, in Jesus Christ, turn with me to Isaiah, a very... Uh, well-known passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. And we see here what God does with the, this wrath that he has. If you are living under the wrath of God, as, as David was fearing that he might be, Lord, in your wrath, don't discipline me or rebuke me. He, he, he's concerned about his, because he, he, he's, 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 he's speaking this, he's writing this before the cross of Christ. So he has a somewhat of an understanding of the, Mes the, the messianic future, but he doesn't fully grasp it. So there's that fear in him. We should have no fear in us when we understand what Jesus has done for us. Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, as one who men hide their faces, he was despised and we are esteemed. Surely he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. And we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted because he was wounded for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace and by his stripes we are healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He laid the wrath of God. So because God is just, because God cannot tolerate sin, he has to, to bring justice and judgment to sin. He could have done it, and he should have done it in some ways, I guess you could say, upon us because we were deserving of it. And yet in his grace and his mercy, he decides to direct that just righteous anger at sin, the rebuke and the uh, discipline of sin. He desires to bring that um, to bear, but instead of bringing it to bear upon us, he brings it to bear upon his own son, Christ Jesus, and he takes our pain, he takes our sorrow, he takes our sin, he takes Sheol, he takes death, he takes our enemies, and he, and he puts them upon his own son, Christ Jesus. That's why the cross was such a horrific thing. In Matthew 20, 23, the disciples think that they could stand with Christ at his, uh, at, at his impending death, and he says, can you drink this cup? It's the cup of wrath. And then in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus drinks fully of the dregs of that cup. The dregs speaking of the, the very last pieces of it. So Jesus is not just 
drinking the cup of death here. He's drinking the cup of sin, the cup of sorrow, the cup of sickness, the cup of Sheol, the cup of enemies, the cup of, of all sin. He's, he's just drinking down. Could you imagine that this perfect human being, the perfect divine, uh, glorious son of God, taking this cup and it's, and it's full of sin and murder and death and rape and war and famine and earthquake, all these all these horrific things, the, the persecution of the of, of believers. He's taking that, all these sins uh, of, of the Old Testament up to his time period and even into the future. He's taking the, the sins of the future and he's drinking that cup fully. No wonder he wanted this cup to pass from him. It wasn't just the cup of a physical death that caused him dismay. It was the cup of of the pain, of the sorrow, of the sickness, and all of these things. Hallelujah, that we don't have to be like David looking forward to something coming, but we can look back to something finished, finished on the cross of Jesus Christ for you and I. Jesus took the wrath. You might have an expectation of wrath, but what Jesus gives us instead, instead is Christ giving us the substitutionary atonement so that we can be free from this, the struggle of sin, the pain of sin, the sorrow of sin, the continuance nature of sin in our life. We, we deserve the wrath of God, but a holy, just God uh, takes it and puts it fully upon the wrath of God upon Christ. This is no, not controversial when you understand Scripture or church history. This is clearly a biblical teaching that the Bible teaches us. And hallelujah, we can thank God for it that you are no longer under the curse. If you come under the, uh, as a blood-bought children of, child of Christ Jesus, you are no longer under the curse. You are no longer under the wrath of God. You don't have to fear your future. You don't have to fear judgment. You are safe. You are sound. You're secure. Let all that fear go. Let all that, that fear of being overwhelmed by sin, let it go. All of your, all of your um, doubt of being free from this, all of your condemnation, all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your uh, continuously rehearsing how sorrowful you are over your past, Put all that behind you because if you don't put it behind you, what you're doing is saying what Christ did for me is not sufficient. He didn't really drink the cup fully. I have to drink some of it myself. And this is a diminishment of the powerful work that Jesus Christ has done for you and I. And I would say to you today with my whole heart and with the full strength that I have is to let it go, put it behind you, and accept the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's called the new covenant, the cup of blood that we now drink of this clean pure blood that is in our system. It's who we are now in Christ. We are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are purchased. We are cleansed. We are washed. We are sanctified. We are set free, and we are looking forward to an eternity with our Savior. So we can get rid of that expectation of wrath. Number two is the experience of agony. Not only do we have the expectation of wrath that needs to be set free by an understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ uh, taking our, our place but we also understand what he does with our agony, the, the, the physical agony I'm speaking of here now. What do I mean by physical agony? The, the sickness, the, the pain, the, the difficulty. Uh, you know, uh, we, we face that constantly. There are many that would try to suggest to you they don't face this, that they, they have a certain power over this, that, that their, their faith is to a certain level, that they no longer deal with this thing. It concerns me that they would say that because we see in Scripture people like Paul suffering infirmities. We see Timothy, who is probably far beyond in, 
in his understanding of Christ and the cross and the gospel than any preacher there is in our, our world today. And yet he talked about, Paul talked to him about his stomach ailments. And so would we suggest that these are weak men or men without faith? God forbid that we would be accusational like that, but rather we would understand that all of us, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, are facing a, a physical body that, like the earth, is uh, groaning under the decay and uh, you might, everybody from the 1800s and the early 1900s that began to uh, teach this false doctrine of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of a perpetual health, of, 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 of a health that uh, will never be <clears throat> uh, diminished or no decay in the body, all of them are dead now. And so they've all had some form of decay. All, something happened in their body that d- did not sustain uh, health and healing and life. And so, so it's just not a truth. It's just not true to be able to say you can live in this place of uh, continuous health. You're going to find difficult situations, and some are even lying about it. They tell you that you can, because they make money by preaching a particular form of false gospel, they try to tell you that you can stay in health, you can speak it out of your mouth, and it'll be, uh, everything runs away. You've heard more recently, uh, her, saw a video uh, last night of a woman who, um, uh, rebuke the most recent hurricane that hit the Gulf Coast. Uh, she said she has authority over it, and she rebukes it, and it's gone now in Jesus' name. And, of course, the next morning it hit uh, the Gulf Coast and devastated, caused many people to uh, loss of property and loss uh, of life. There's this false teaching that says our mouth has power over forms of darkness, maybe even over power of the sovereignty of God. And that's that, yes, there is power in our confession, and, yes, there is truth to we want to we want to live a positive life and believe the great things of God but your mouth doesn't have the power to create that that is God's power we we often say we're created in God's image therefore the power that he has we have well we don't have the creative power we can't speak a draft into existence we can't speak a a a, a, a baby into existence there that these are things that that is left to the power of God. So we're going to experience some difficulties, and the more honest we are about it, the more we can actually then apply the powerful healing that Jesus does give us, uh, uh, the work that he does for us on the cross. And there's much confusion about this. I want to take just a few minutes to describe some of this confusion. There's what's called the hyper-charismatic word of faith movement, and they're believing that all sickness is from the devil, uh, all sickness should be instantaneously healed by faith, by your mouth confessing, uh, that even if you're sick and you're having symptoms, you you don't declare them, you don't, you don't, you, you, you say you don't have them even when you do have them, which in my book, that's not truth-telling, that's deception. If you are coughing and you say, I am not coughing, well, there's not too many people that you're coughing on around you that are going to believe that. And so they're, they're, they're saying that anyone that's not healed then is, it's, it's, uh, it's not God's fault, obviously, because he wants to heal everybody instantaneously at all times, therefore it has to be your fault. You're the one who's, who's doing that. But we see in Scripture there are many people who, who, who were sick. We even find in Scripture that God puts sickness upon people. We see this in Egypt where he talks about the plagues, the infirmities that he put upon the Egyptians. It also speaks of Elisha, this great man of faith. We see a power in him that we see very rarely today. And yet the Bible says about him that he received an illness, and because of that illness he died. So, so was he without faith? Uh, I, I would doubt that any of us would say that, but yet we, he's, he was faced with reality, and yet the hyper, 
charismatic word of faith movement would, would suggest to you that uh, maybe he was lacking faith or maybe he didn't confess it. But uh, I see this as a non-biblical reality. On the other extreme, the other pendulum is the cessationists. They believe that all the gifts have ceased. There's no longer uh, praying for the sick. There's no longer tongues or interpretation. There's no longer prophecy. There's no, no longer any of the spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in Corinthians. And, and this is, this is as, as much a heresy as the, the hyper-charismatic, uh, where, where the supernatural seems to uh, be left only to the occasional sovereign move of God. It has nothing to do with prayer, the prayer of faith. This comes totally contrary to Scripture, uh, where you have James asking the elders to pray for the sick and they'll be healed and so you, you can sort of, uh, as I think it was Wesley that spoke about a drunk man uh, falls off his horse on the left side and stumbling he gets up back on the horse and falls off on the right side. Uh, and there's this, this same situation that seems to be happening in the church. There's on one side, is we fall off uh, onto a heresy of believing that, uh, that there is no such thing as, as sickness or difficulty or sorrow or suffering. And then we fall off on the other hand of saying, well, there's no deliverance, there's no power. You just have to endure suffering, pain, and sorrow for the rest of your life. And the confusion really is, is about what the effect of the atonement was. In Isaiah 53, we read that just a moment ago, it says, by his stripes we are healed. Now, this is by some, by the cessationist, or maybe a conservative, it might be seen as, as well, you know, we, we the, the, the cross, um, by his stripes we are healed from sin, uh, but not from sickness. Uh, and others would say, on the other extreme, would say we're, we are healed exactly the same way that we're healed from sin, we're healed from sickness. I would suggest to you there's this, I don't want to call it a middle ground, but there's this clear understanding that could understand how we could be saved from sin and from physical sickness. And yet at the same time, any of you that would say that you are, by his stripes you are healed, or by your stripes, by his stripes you are saved from sin, for those of you who would put that in the sin category, no, none of you would say, I never sin anymore. You are set free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, but yet you're still struggling with the reality of the fallen nature and sin, and so you're still living in with, with some sin that you're struggling with in your life. Well, the same thing could be said then for sickness. You can be at the cross, Christ providing the remedy, the atonement for your, for your physical bodies, and yet at the same time, because we live this side of eternity and this side of heaven, this side of the coming of Jesus Christ where he's going to destroy all enemies, even death, which we'll talk about in a moment, that, that we're still living on in this fallen world. And so just the way, same way that the cross affects our forgiveness of our sin. It also affects our ability to be, uh, in a positive way, our ability to be healed. And so we have that available to us, and yet we're still struggling with both of these things. And we're certainly uh, death is yet to be conquered, and soon will be, and that'll be a rejoicing time. But in the meantime, we are de honestly dealing with these things. And I want to encourage you to be an honest Christian and to, to look at Scripture and see in here you see people that are, are, are struggling with sickness. And, and many of them are healed, but some of them are not. And we want to understand the, the grace of God and the mercy of God, the healing power of God. And we do experience the agony. We experience the agony of this fallen world, this groaning reality of the existence around us. And yet we understand the breakthrough power of God. 
And so we would not for one moment diminish faith. We would not diminish the ability to believe God for healing, to believe God can set us free from ailments. I've seen that happen in my life. I've seen it happen in my family's life where Jesus miraculously, through the prayer of faith, brought somebody who was sick into a place of healing. And we should never diminish that because when we diminish that, we're diminishing the very work of God, the very power of God that he has in, in our, our life. The next thing we see here is the, the, the fear of death. Verse 5, For the death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol who will give you praise. And we see here this understanding that David has is, is, is somewhat diminished. He doesn't fully understand that the, the, the future of the work of Jesus after the cross of Jesus Christ and he's talking about, if, if I die, I, I can't praise you. Well, certainly the scriptures also understand the reality of the future that we have in Christ Jesus. And the future speaks of, in the New Testament, the understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as being a forerunner of our resurrection in Christ Jesus as well, that we will be raised from the dead, that we will continue to praise him. Our physical bodies may, may fade away, and we may end up being buried six feet under the ground, but our souls live on in Jesus Christ. And we can ever, 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 forever, and ever, 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 for eons of time, for matchless time, un, un, uncountable time, we get to praise him, to speak his praises, to love him, to enjoy his presence. David here is, is, is concerned about that. He's concerned about his own death. And when we do that, sometimes we get discouraged and downcast. And, and yet at the same time, God is with him. And God can raise him from the dead. And we know in eternity we'll have no more uh, fear of Sheol, fear, fear of of, of, of death, the finality of death, because Christ will overcome death. We see this in Corinthians where Paul talks about the last enemy, death, being destroyed by Jesus Christ. That's the power that he has for us. How wonderful, how marvelous that he has that. And lastly, we want to just go to verse 6 through 8. No, excuse me, verse 8 through 10. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. You see the transition here, chapters 6, verse 1 through, through, through um, 7. He seems to be downcast. He's discouraged about the physical ailments, about soul problems, about the difficulty, the trouble that he has inside of his, his soul that's even greater than the, the struggle that he was having with, 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 with uh, the physical ailments that he was facing. His soul was troubled. We see all these various ailments in him, and yet now all of a sudden there's this transition. How does this transition take place? Why does it take place? Because the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. In verse 10, and all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. That's a powerful conclusion. It's a powerful understanding that David can rejoice now. No matter what's happening in my life, no matter the struggle with sin, the struggle with sickness, the struggle of suffering in my soul, the struggling with the fear of death, the struggling with Satan, with, with his minions and his, the enemies that he sends against me, and whether they be fleshly enemies or powers and principalities, no matter what, these enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Things are going to change in a moment. Today you may feel this way. Tomorrow you may be see the change. Today you may be sick, tomorrow you may be healed. Today your soul could be downcast and troubled, tomorrow there could be this moment, this instantaneous taking place. The fear of death could be broken in your life in an instantaneous moment. Satan can be uh, caused to flee from you and the powers and principalities that are aligned against you can be broken in one single moment. Your enemies, the wicked enemies that come against you, the powers and principalities of darkness that come against you shall turn back and be put to shame in a single 
moment. Oh, what a moment that'll be. And we taste that now. We have a foretaste of that moment when he comes in that healing power, that saving power, that delivering power, that, that enemy cursing and deliverance from our enemy's power. We see that come to us even now on earth, even now in this fallen world, even now when we don't see all things having been submitted to Christ Jesus yet, as uh, I believe as Colossians says. But we see uh, there's coming a day where every enemy will be put as footstool and even death, that last enemy, will be put to shame. And in that moment, now, now two things I want to close with here. It says, all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. And it says they'll be turned back and put to shame in a moment. So is this suggesting to us that there's some kind of situation or there's some type of faith that we could arise to? Uh, there's some type of understanding that our minds could, be, could get wrapped around that all. And then once we get that kind of revelation, now all of a sudden all my enemies be shamed, greatly troubled and turned back even in a moment. That'd be wonderful. If, if there is a magic cure like that, if there is some kind of a mental understanding, a revelation that I, that I or you could get. We want that. But that is not speaking uh, of this because we understand David and we understand Paul. We understand Jesus. He suffered. He had difficulties. He had trials and tribulations. And so when it says all our enemies be turned back, the reality is yes, all of them be turned back. And t- right now, to some degree, it's substantial. There's the substantial work of Jesus that he's doing on the world, in the world and in your life today. But the fullness of that, the totality of that, will come instantaneously at the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible says a trump will sound and in the twinkling of an eye, the Christ will descend and there'll be a judgment on the face of the earth and, the, and those who are wicked and vile will be cast into the pit and those who are righteous and godly will live on with him forever and ever and ever. And there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more shame, no more suffering, no more enemies, no more difficulties, no more trials, no more tribulations. And that's coming in that twinkling of an eye in that moment. It's the future hope that we expect. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ when all our sorrows will be dealt with and there'll be no more suffering. Oh, what a great and glorious day that will be. But until that time, we have the finished work of Jesus Christ, the new covenant on the cross in his name through his blood. And we can take great substantial hope now. And even if there might be seem to be enemies, weapons being formed around us, they're not going to prosper even now, certainly not in the future. But all our enemies are already being contended with, dealt with by the power of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no enemy that he is not already substantially dealing with in your life. He is already dealing through the cross with your sin, already dealing on the, with his blood through of your sickness, already dealing with the suffering of your soul through his healing power, through his restoring of your soul. He's already dealing with the fear of death, and not only the fear of death, but the reality of death by bringing resurrection hope in your life. And he's already now dealing with Satan, defeating Satan, bringing down Satan, but one day Satan will be fully stomped under his foot, fully locked up in a prison forever, and our wicked enemies with them. And we'll no, more, we'll no longer know the struggle with sin. We won't know the struggle with sorrow and suffering and difficulty. We'll be free from all that. The old hymn writers will say, oh, what a glorious day that will be when we see Jesus face to face. I hope you have that, what's called the blessed hope. And in the meantime, if you're experiencing fear of wrath, understand that Christ is your deliverer. You're feeling, feeling, fear, struggling with the experiencing agony, understand that Christ is your healer. You're suffering of soul, understand that Christ is your restorer. You're struggling with the fear of death, 
Understand that Christ is your hope for life and is your life. Struggling with Satan and his wicked enemies that are uh, encamped around about you, understand that Christ is the defeater, is the victor. He's the, the, the Latin called it Christus Victor, Christ our victory over sin, sickness, sorrow, uh, uh, Sheol, death, Satan, all of our enemies being conquered by Christ Jesus. This psalm starts off in an, almost an oblique manner, but it ends in a blessed manner. It ends in a glorious manner. And I want your life, if you started this message today and you came to hear this, this word that I'm preaching and you started off experiencing any of these areas that David is expressing in his own heart, his own struggle, I want you to know today that there's a substantial healing, a substantial power, a substantial breakthrough, the substance of Christ Jesus setting us free from all of these things of guilt, shame, sorrow, suffering, sickness, and death. And yet there's coming a day in the future where we'll be ultimately fully, totally set free. Until that time, rely on Christ. Trust in Christ. Don't fear. Don't, don't, don't wrestle in your own strength. Come into the fullness of Christ Jesus that he's already supplied for you on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why he cried out, it is finished. The work is finished for you. Come to Jesus and rely on him. Let me pray for you now. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the weakness of my words would be accompanied by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, this is your word being preached. I've stayed close to scripture as best I could. Lord, I put my finger in the word and I pointed at it and said, this is what the Lord is saying. And therefore, Lord, it's, it's not my word that because my word doesn't have power, but your word does. So release your power to accomplish your word. So I pray for anybody struggling with sin right now, Lord, that you would empower them to break those chains and be set free from those bondages. Anybody dealing with sickness right now in their body, from their head to their toe, the healing power of Jesus Christ would come upon them. Lord, anyone dealing with, with the, the psychological, the soulish issues, the, the, the pain of being feeling the, the despair or being downcast, struggling with certain issues emotionally, Lord, lift them up. Breathe on them, encourage them today, revive their soul, f free them from anxiety, stress, fear, despair. Break that in the name of Jesus right now, I, I pray. Lord, if anyone is, is living with the fear of death, they're, 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 they're running from it, they're hiding from it, they're, they're trying to believe that it's not gonna happen. Lord, therefore, it's causing even greater fear because they're sub, 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 uh, subverting that inside their self, they're suppressing it. So Lord, help them to realize, God, that uh, should you tarry, we will face death, but death is not uh, final. It, 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 it's not the end of things. Lord, it's the beginning of something new. So help us be set free from that. And Satan and, and the wickedness all around us in the world today, we don't have to fear or tremble at it. We have a conquering Christ. We have a conquering King. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Come back with us again soon as we continue this series on the book of Psalm, Psalms and we will go verse by verse. And we're going to dig in there and we pray that there are some things that will help uh, encourage you, set you free, deliver you, and bring you to the highest place you can ever possibly be in Christ Jesus. God bless you. Thanks for being with us today.